Thank you, choir and instrumentalists and Dan. And I will say the choir sounds just as good under Ms. Baker's leadership as it does Mr. Baker's leadership. Thank you, Jody. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking in just a moment at verses 19 through 21. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. This is our annual stewardship message. I know you woke up excited about that this morning. Our stewardship theme this year comes from Psalm 37.3. Dwell in the land of the Lord and cultivate faithfulness. The psalmist is comparing the fostering of our faith with gardening. To produce a bumper crop, we need many elements. We need sun and water and temperature and the right soil, pH, and any one of these factors can cause the crop to fail. To cultivate faithfulness, our faith too must grow. Likewise, there are many elements in the growing of our faith as there are in the growing of a crop. To cultivate our faith, we must have worship. We must have prayer. We must have study and meditation on God's Word. We must have obedience. We must gather with God's people. We must be at church to grow in our faith. And yes, we must give of our financial resources to grow in our faith. Without the care of our faith, and our finances, we never will grow in Christ. In fact, Jesus this morning, as we will see in Matthew chapter 6, could hardly have been more clear about this connection. According to Jesus, not according to me, there is no measure of a man better than the measure of his purse. Our true selves show forth in our finances. Our true selves show forth in our finances. What's important to us is seen in our checkbook register. Today we continue in our sermon series in Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You've heard about the adopting of greyhound racing dogs, haven't you? Those big, beautiful, lean, muscular running machines that chase after that mechanical wooden rabbit. Around and around the track they go. These dogs just exhaust themselves chasing that rabbit. When those dogs get to the point they can no longer race, the owners put a little ad in the paper to see if anybody wants to adopt one of those retired race dogs for a pet. 
You're, you can have one of those dogs for free, I'm told. Otherwise, they're going to be put down. They're going to be put to sleep. Pastor Fred Craddock said that he has a niece in Arizona who can't stand the thought of those dogs being destroyed. So she goes out and adopts and says she's got a lot of big greyhounds in her house. She just loves those big dogs. Well, he said he's in another home where they adopted one of those racing dogs, a spotted greyhound. He's just lying there in the den. One of the toddlers had his tail and was just pulling on his tail. And another older child was using the dog's stomach for a pillow. And he said, that old race dog just looks so happy. Here's a kid pulling his tail and using his stomach for a pillow. And so the pastor just asked the dog, are you still racing some? No, no, the dog said to the preacher. I don't, I don't race anymore. Well, the preacher asked, do you miss the glitter and the excitement of the racing track? No, replied the greyhound. I don't. Well, what's the matter, said the preacher. Do you get too old to race? Is that what happened? You just sort of aged out. Oh, no, said the dog. No, uh-uh. He said, I still had some race left in me. Well, what happened then, said the preacher, you didn't win, did you? Well, defensively, the dog said, I won more than a million dollars for my owner, I'll have you know, pastor. Well, what was it then, said the preacher? Bad treatment? Was it bad treatment? Oh, no, said the dog. They treated us royally when we were racing. Oh, said the preacher, you got crippled, I bet, an injury. Nope. Nope, said the dog. Then why, the preacher pressed, I quit, said the dog. You quit? Yes, that's right, the dog said. I quit. Well, why did you quit? I discovered what I was chasing wasn't really a rabbit, and I quit. The dog looked the preacher and said, all that running and running and running and running and what I was chasing, it wasn't even real. A whole new life just like that. He quit chasing wooden rabbits. Jesus is telling his disciples, and this perhaps is greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, to be be careful what you chase. Be careful where you, what you run after because be sure that you are going after something that is real. Be sure it is something that lasts. The great newspaper publisher William Randolph Hearst was a patron of the arcs and spent a great deal of money collecting his treasures for his collection. Story circulates that one day he read a description of a piece of artwork that he felt that he must own, a rabbit that he must chase. So he sent his agent abroad to find it. After a few months of searching, the agent reported that he found the treasured object and that it was really very close to home. Where was it? In Hearst's own warehouse. With many other treasures that he owned that were still in their crates. 
The great Hearst had been searching for a treasure that he already owned. That's the power of wealth and riches that blind us to the treasures that we already have and causes us to focus on obtaining more without ever appreciating what we already have. Reminds me of the man who wanted to move because he just wanted a change. He called a realtor who visited his house to list his home and, well, they put his house for sale. Only a few days passed until he found his dream home it was three-bedroom, two-bath, brick veneer, well-landscaped, quiet neighborhood, had a study and new appliances. He called the realtor immediately, and when the receptionist gave him the address of the property, he was shocked to find out it was the house he had just put up for sale. What are you chasing? Are your rabbits wooden? What are you going after? As Americans, we are seldom ever truly satisfied. And very easily we begin to worship earthly treasures. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God. It is the topic of his sermons. He talks about having a kingdom set of values instead of an earthly set of values. Jesus, in fact, says in our text today that we can determine where our heart is by how we handle our financial resources. It's kind of disturbing when Jesus gets so personal, isn't it? Oh, I'm a lot more comfortable when he's railing the Pharisees and the scribes, or I can even take it when he tells me that I need to love my neighbor, and even when he tells me to love my enemy as my neighbor. But when Jesus starts talking about the marriage between our finances and our faith and how they're inextricably linked and one tells the story of the other, well, we just soon turn the page and move on, hadn't we? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is about a kingdom set of values. The first thing we notice is this. Do not lay up treasures where they're sure to turn to trash. Do not lay up treasures where they are sure to turn to trash. If it will not burn, it will rust. If it will not rot, it will crack. If it will not break, it will bend. I can testify, as can you, that everything has an end on this earth. I do not know whether you have ever tried it before, but I can tell you I will never do it again. It was tall and shiny. It was supposed to be rust protected. It was blue and green striped poles. It had a super slide and monkey bars and a porch style swing. It promised years of rust-free, carefree joy for Ryan, Jordan, mom and dad alike. Chandler was not yet on the scene. It was a backyard swing set. Oh, I don't overdo it. It was the king size, Taurus R Us style. Have you ever tried to put together a swing set in the backyard? I saw it in Toys R Us. Oh, uh, Toys R Us. It was the, you know, it had the three 
Post said. It was, and I was so excited for my kids. And then we drove around back to pick up the box, and that thing was in this box. How in the world could that swing set be in this box? How could this gigantic outdoor entertainment extravaganza be contained in that little cardboard box? Four days, <laughs> 2,001 pieces, literally 1,000 pounds of anchoring sackcrete, and later I had finally constructed the beast of the backyard. And then, and I followed every detail of the instructions, at the end of the instruction, it was not posted. It was not posted in Toys R Us below the description of this swing set. But the very end of the instructions, it said, to ensure safe operation, examine and tighten bolts and all screws weekly and prevent rust, spot paint swing monthly. <laughs> My kids are going to make some ER trips. I'm not doing those screws and bolts every week of my life. Did I own the swing? Or did the swing now own me? I had just spent four days of my life that I could never, ever redeem. Putting this monster together, it was supposed to give me carefree pleasure, and now it enslaved me to every week having to go out and tighten every screw and bolt. There are a thousand screws and bolts in that swing set. And paint monthly? Really? Material things are always deteriorating, demanding time and attention. The all needs changing. The pool needs backwash. The camera flash is dead because the batteries once again are gone. The air conditioner needs more Freon and the filter changed. The house plants need watering and the trinkets are once again covered with dust. Jesus warned us, don't keep your treasures on earth. Jesus spoke as much about the spiritual use of material possessions as any other topic he ever preached about. Now, preaching a sermon like this about materialism and stewardship, it did make Jesus a very popular preacher then, and it certainly is not going to make me a very popular preacher now. In fact, a survey in Ministry Magazine said that nine out of ten preachers refused to address the issue of materialism. And I'm quite sure that 11 out of 10 people in the pew will refuse to listen when I do it. But it is odd how much Jesus talks about this. If you ever just take your red letter edition of Scripture and see how much Jesus talks about money. According to One Day in America, the book, Americans buy 190,000 wristwatches every day. We throw away 20,000 television sets, some that are perfectly working, but they're not big enough anymore or skinny enough anymore, and so out they go. We spend $700 million daily in recreation and entertainment. We buy 
200 miles worth of neckties each day. Now, I'm kind of defensive on that one. That doesn't seem like a bad idea. And 55,000 a day, 55,000 pieces of Barbie doll clothing. Barbie must surely look her best with all the Barbie doll clothes we're buying. We indeed are storing our treasure where it will rot and rust and bend and break. There's a second thing Jesus says. Spend your time and talents on things that last forever. Spend your time and talents on things that last forever. What Jesus argues here presupposes a belief in rewards in heaven. And the Bible does teach that, you know. In fact, the author of Hebrews puts it this way, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven six. If we are genuinely committed to the kingdom of God, then our most cherished values must be established by God. And just as the arrival of Jesus as the Bethlehem baby and the beginning of his ministry makes the kingdom of God already present, at least incipiently, even so the disciple of Jesus is already accumulating treasure in heaven. And just as the kingdom of God is yet to come in its fullness and its splendor, so also the disciple of Jesus awaits a common consummation in order to enter the fullness of the blessings that God has prepared for her because of her faithfulness. It is a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporary. It is a poor bargain that exchanges the eternal for the temporary, regardless of how much tinsel is used to make the temporal look attractive for the moment. When Chandler, who's now a sophomore at OU, was two and a half years old, she had no ability to distinguish between fake jewelry and real jewelry. She had no ability to discern between gold-painted plastic and 24-carat jewelry. In fact, she would gather that costume jewelry handed down from her older sisters, and she was just as territorial and delighted about trinket treasures as she would have been a diamond necklace. She had no real sense of discerning value. Or at least I can tell you, her sense of value was based upon some clearly false assumptions. She was chasing something that wasn't real. She was dancing for plastic rabbits. And as I watched her, I, I used to ponder, does God look down at me and the things I value? And do I look like a preschool, a two-and-a-half-year-old girl who's excited about plastic jewelry? 
Does God look down at me and ask, why have I ignored his word? And why am I storing up my treasures where moths will eat them and rust will corrode them? I wonder, does God look down at me and say, as I do a two and a half year old little girl, man, that value system is so messed up. They are trading their souls for the long, wrong thing. Certainly he does. Jesus was amused by the sense of values of humanity in his day. You're doing it all wrong, Jesus said. Stop laying up for yourselves treasures here on earth. For moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there's no moths, there's no rust, nothing will break or be stolen. Are we ever really satisfied with the collecting of stuff in our world? In Irma Bombeck's book, I want to grow hair, I want to grow up, and I want to go to Boise. She tells about the experiences of children who are cancer patients. And in this book, she tells about a little girl by the name of Christina. Christina, who's been diagnosed with cancer and is receiving treatment. And a friend asked Katrina, what would you like for your eighth birthday? What present do you want? For your eighth birthday, Christina sort of rubs her bald head and puts her face in her hands and says, I don't know. I've got two sticker books and a cabbage patch doll. I've got everything already. Do we ever feel like we have everything already? Little Christina with cancer echoes the teaching of Jesus. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of things which he possesses. Those are the words of Jesus. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. Sometimes it's costly to have a kingdom set of values. To put kingdom things first, to put Christ first, which means we put the bride of Christ first, which means... We acknowledge the church with our tithe. That can be a, a costly thing. It can change our lifestyle and our budget to empower our church in her missions and in ministries. In the generation I'm doing funerals for right now, and it's weekly, it is not, I'm happy to say, it is not unusual for the family to say, the first check that mom ever wrote every month was to First Baptist Church. One son said, I managed her money, and the first thing she wanted to know was how much had her account changed, how much interest had she made, because when she was writing her tithe check, she wanted to get it exactly right. It wasn't the leftovers. It wasn't an afterthought. It was a life disciplined 
by kingdom values. She was, as our psalmist said, cultivating her faith. Years ago, when Gary Heron was with the Dallas Baptist Association, the Baptist General Convention of Texas met in Amarillo, Texas. A man at the restaurant saw his name tag and asked if he was a minister, and he admitted that he was a minister. Quickly, the man retorted out of the blue, I don't go to church anymore. All they do is ask for money. Heron didn't make any comment or get into a debate with the man. He just went home and reflected on what the man had said, and he wrote. Candidly, that man was terribly misinformed. It is the world and not the church that's always asking for money. The cashier at the grocery store always asks me for money. With unfailing regularity, the mortgage company asks for money. Each month, for most of us at least, there is a new collection of bills in the email or the mailbox. Who withholds a percentage of every dollar that you earn? The IRS will, but not your heavenly Father. Some folks say there is no free lunch in this world, and that's true everywhere except the church. There is never an admission charge when you enter this room. In fact, even at Christmas, when we do three worship services, and we require you to have a ticket to manage the, the crowds, you are charged zero for the ticket because worship here is free. If you're in the hospital, you'll be visited by someone, and everyone else that enters your hospital room will send you a bill for their time and attention. Everyone. And don't touch that Kleenex box. That's $12 worth of Kleenex right there. <laughs> but First Baptist Church will be there every single day if we know you're there and you'll never receive a bill for the men and women who enter your room and give you the gift of their time. Who else provides free counseling when you need it? Have you ever gotten a subscription notice from us for your reporter or your missions magazine or your Sunday school literature or your children's literature? Has anyone ever gotten a renewal notice from us? You haven't, and you won't. What will it cost you when a loved one dies? You'll be charged by the funeral home for their services. This building will be yours for free, simply for the asking. Your children receive free education because you pay big property taxes, but the reality is your children receive first-rate religious education in the Sunday school rooms this morning, and you will never receive a tuition bill. The reality is the church is the one place that never asks for money. Here's a third thing Jesus says. You want to find out where your heart is? Look at your treasure. James Knight, psychiatrist at Tulane School of Medicine, said, my patients will talk about their sexual perversities, their hatred for the parents. They'll talk about anything more than they want to talk about their money. Because our money, says the psychiatrist, represents our true values, 
our true selves. Jesus said it best. We must realize that our money, how we save it, spend it, give it, hoard it, represents a true reflection of our values. Store up your treasure, not on earth where it will rust and bend and break and be stolen and the moths will devour it, but store up your treasures in heaven. For Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Next week, we turn in our commitment cards. It's a good process. Nobody else looks at your cards between you and God, but allows us to look at a total in order to plan for our missions and our ministries next year. It's a good process, but it calls, requires me and you to sit and prayerfully reflect on what priority our tithe will be in our budget. For wherever a man spends his treasure... Jesus says, there you're going to find his true self, his true heart. Let us pray. Oh God, you are such a wonderful giver to us. And in giving our tithe, may we realize that you're truly the owner of it all. That we give back that token to remind us that you've given us our health, our intelligence, our strength, and our abilities to earn a living. And we must return your portion to your people. Father, I pray this morning that we'd all reconsider our values beginning with me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.